This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to the Non and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and with me this week are James and Natalie to talk about everything that's been going on over the summer. What a busy summer. Natalie, how's your summer been? Hello, my summer has been fantastic. Thank you, Jamie. It has been fun. It has been nice to sit back and just think about the glory of promotion and the championship title and put our feet up and relax for a very happy summer being uh, champions of the championship. Vegas for you, wasn't it? It was, yes, it was. Uh, for those uh, regular listeners who don't know this, I am um, a big poker player as well as a lawyer for my sins. So every summer I head out to the to Sin City for the World Series of Poker. Um, I was out for two weeks this year, which is a long time in Vegas. It can be a bit of Vegas jaded by the end of the fortnight. But yes, it was a good trip. Thank you. I can only imagine the heat out there. I'm melting in Leeds today. It's unbearable. Yeah, it was pretty hot. I think the coolest day we had out there I mean, this seems a bit like, well, duh, because it's the desert. But I think (laughs) during the two weeks we were there, the coolest day we had was 110, which I think's 43, I'm sure. 43? I think it's 43. And then the hottest day was 114, which I think was 45. I'm sure Birdie will fact check me on that one. But yeah, it was pretty warm. Yeah, I'd just be a puddle on the pavement if I went there. (laughs) Yeah, stay inside. (laughs) (laughs) How's your summer, James? Do you enjoy the Euros? Uh, I barely watched any of the Euros, to be honest. I watched England and then got really disappointed about it. Um, maybe the best part of our summer was obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins won the Stanley Cup, so I've had a good sporting year so far. Good sporting year, let's hope that continues. The Euros, of course, relevant for Burnley fans. Tom Heaton was there with England, although didn't get on the pitch, despite Joe Hart continually throwing the ball in his own net. Sam Volts had a terrific run as well with Wales, scored a very good goal as well. I'm sure he'll be high on confidence coming back for the new season and one potential new signing that we'll come on to a bit later as well but we'll move on to footballing matters um not much has happened at the surf so far this summer so we'll start with something we talked about at the end of last season which was the fate of joey barton it was still up in the air last time we put a podcast out but he did sign for rangers which ought to be on the cards um 
James, I still can't quite get my head around it. He seemed like he was building up to, to have a crack at the Premier League and then decided to go and play at what's probably Championship League One standard. Yeah, I think it's you know, a real step down for him, to be honest, yeah, even from from where he was in the Championship. you know, Like you say, it's probably tail end of Championship, High League One maybe in Scotland. Um, I think, I think he, he must have thought he couldn't really cut it in the Premier League, which you know, is fair enough. He maybe doesn't want to go back to the Premier League and you know fight relegation again and and maybe not you know improve his profile that much. Whereas he can go to Scotland and you know Rangers will probably have a chance at challenging Celtic and you know it'd be another bit of silverware to add to his his collection if he if he could do it. But I, I think you know considering the press he did at the beginning of the last season before he signed for a saying how he felt he could still offer a couple of seasons in the Premier League. I think it's disappointing to see he's, he's changed his mind on that. Yeah, I, I suppose it is a it's a fresh challenge, a chance to play a different league. Ibrox will be full a lot of the time, I imagine, so it'll be big crowds, passionate atmosphere, playing in the old firm derby, all that stuff. But um, what what got me was this week when obviously pre season's going on, he could have been getting ready to play in the Premier League with us, and instead tomorrow night he's going to be playing against Annan Athletic in the Scottish League Cup. But, Natalie, it just seems like such a waste of, of talent to me. Yeah, it does. And I think it's difficult, really, because you don't want to be, you know, particularly harsh on, on the Scottish League and you don't want to be harsh on another side, especially as, you know, Rangers do have um, an incredible history. And like you say, they have that ground and that fan base will just be such a great atmosphere and a, a great um, place for him to play his football. I'm, I'm torn about the whole thing, really. I... <laughs> I'm really disappointed that he left, really disappointed, and I really thought that we were going to keep him. And like you say, he was he was building up to to really have another go at the Premier League. On the flip side of that, I'm not naive enough to think that he would be as effective next season as he was last season. It's a whole different ball game in the, in the Premier League, and he was going to be um, in the bottom end of skillful midfielders as opposed to probably the best player um, in the championship last season. And I do, I do wonder whether that played on his mind a little bit in that, you know, he's a he's a big ego player, is Joey Barton, he's a big confidence player. And will that have affected his game going to the Premier League, being in a relegation battle, potentially, um, and also sort of being outclassed every single week. So I wonder whether he took the opportunity to go out on a high to again be the best player week in, week out on that pitch. And also don't forget, if he is successful next season and he brings a title to Rangers, he's got a crack at Champions League the season after, albeit in the early rounds, but he's not going to get that with Burnley. So... Massively disappointed, but playing devil's advocate, I can see what attracted him to go down that route rather than stay with us. Yeah, I think we obviously covered Barton extensively at the end of the season. And I suppose all that's happened is that he's he's actually signed for Rangers. It'll be interesting to see the reception he gets from from Burnley fans at the friendly at Ibrox in a couple of weeks' time. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Burnley fans go up to Scotland for that game. Interesting to see if he gets a, a hero's welcome or if there's a bit of needle for, for the fact he decided to leave. I'll be very surprised if he gets anything other than a really good round of applause. I'd be absolutely amazed if he gets booed. I'd be surprised, but there's been Burnley players that have come, former Burnley players, should I say, that have come back and I've been surprised that they've got booze. Players like Robbie Blake have been booed at the surf and I think that's absurd, so... Maybe it'll be a, a little bit mixed. We'll have to wait and see. I'm sure we'll cover that on the podcast after that game. Please. Recent years has been very hit and miss for receptions. I think 
there's I think very- it's been sorry, but I think it's been down to how the manner in which they left. I mean, yeah, I know you said about Rob, Robbie Blake left us twice and really, really had digs at us both times he left and had swipes at us about ambition and where he was going to, you know, go and play bigger football for bigger clubs. You know, Joey did leave with a lot of grace and dignity, and I think that will impact on it. When you say that about uh, Robbie Blake, it just reminds me of Brian Jensen all the time. So he was going to go play for bigger clubs and uh, never happened. <laughs> Let's leave that there because uh, I, I don't want Brian Jensen to bring me up and shout at no. me like he did to, to Kev once. <laughs> I've got to say, we're starting early. The, the Non and Ever podcast is in just coming to, this is our first pre-season friendly and we're already at it. Like This is not a friendly and we're then cutting yeah, remarks this, straight this is, away. This is us warming up. <laughs> this is warming up for next season. We're getting prepared. I we're love still, it. We've still got a month to go until the football starts. Um, speaking of the football then, no major signings yet at Burnley. We expect there's going to be two from Charleston this se- uh, this week. Sorry, uh, Hopefully not before the podcast comes out. That would be a shame if we've not done a podcast for two months and then it's immediately out of date. Um, but are you a bit surprised, Natalie, that there's been no arrivals yet? I suppose the Euros maybe got in the way a little bit, but would that be somewhere we were really going to be shopping? Is it just a case of everyone being on holiday? And um, I did think that initially, and I did wonder whether the Euros and, like you say, people just coming back into to business would have played an impact on it. The recent interviews that I've I've read from Deitch after pre-season friendlies, especially some of the, the interviews coming out of the Evian trip, um, I don't think that is the case. You know, he's very much alluded to the fact that he is, um, he's got his chairman looking, he's given him a list of the players he wants, he's got them out there trying to do deals. And he's already come out and said that we are effectively struggling in the market in that his valuation of players isn't the same as what clubs valuations of players are, that this the money's you know, that people think that everybody's overinflated the market isn't what it should be. And he's come out today in, in today's interview and said, you know, we do things differently at Burnley, which just worries me in <laughs> I worry that we've not, and, and, and like I say, we, we can debate this, throw this to you guys, see what you think, but I'm really starting to worry that we haven't learned any of our lessons from the last promotion campaign where we had two absolutely woeful transfer windows where we really showed our naivety in the Premier League market and showed ourselves up a little bit. And I thought that after last season, and I thought with experience, we were going to do much better this time. I may very well be proved wrong and I might be panicking a little bit here, but the signs that I'm reading from um, from articles and from, from interviews with the, with the management are really starting to concern me that we're heading back down that route again. I suppose the first thing to point out is that there still is, what, nearly four weeks to go until the first game, so it's probably a bit early for anyone to be panicking. But I understand what you're saying. I think um, the market was always going to move this summer with a new TV deal. And I think the worry for me is that we just opt out of that. The things you were saying about us doing it differently, you can't do that and expect to to compete. You have to compete financially as well. Um, It's worth pointing out as well that I don't think Hull have signed anyone yet. So they're in exactly the same position of us. They've got promoted and they haven't signed anyone. But on the flip side, Middlesbrough have strengthened their squad quite dramatically and Spent spent quite a bit of money in the process. I'm sure Sean Dyche has noticed. Um, I'm sure he'll come out with that as well. I think as well, it's not just that the signing on fees here, Jamie. As well, I, I saw an article today, in the, and I don't want to give them a lot of airtime because I refuse to uh, massage this ridiculously fake rivalry that it seems to be um, uh, monopolising Twitter between the, the Borough and Burnley fans. 
honestly, it's it's like we've got our own rifles, go away. Um, so I don't want to give it too much airtime. But I did see today their latest signing. I, forgive me, I can't remember who it was. But they're offering to pay, they're signing him on and paying him wages of £100,000 a week. Now, that is our wage cap, I understand, is about twenty to thirty thousand a week in the Premier League, and that's just for one of their squad players. We absolutely cannot compete with that. I do not know where they're getting their money from. Yeah, it's crazy. The player you talk about, Negredo, um, had a decent start uh, at yes, City, didn't is. he? But yes, he uh, did. The article I'm looking at now, he's been at Valencia in the last two seasons, scored ten goals in fifty-five games. So that's te- ten goals he scored in the Spanish top flight. Danny Ings scored, what, nine in the Premier League? So yeah, exactly. This is a guy he's, who's he's less effect- effective than Danny Ings and the one yeah. paying him 100 grand a week. I think he's effectively the McCormack of this summer, isn't he? It's that it's that thing where one one uh, is it McCormack McCormack I can't remember it was Ross it was, was yeah it was McCormack it was, yeah. eleven million and then everyone exactly. decided that players were worth an absolute fortune exactly and he could well be the trigger for this season on an already stupidly inflated market yeah it looks like Negredo's alone um, James what are your thoughts I suppose we've got our targets and it's it's a case of whether the valuations match up isn't it yeah I mean what I would say on uh, Negredo is obviously it is a loan so I'm. The, part, the the wages might. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, they they're not signing him, so I assume he could just be getting paid that already. In which case, they're probably a bit stuck, aren't they? But um, you know, I think that the market is is expensive. If you look at some of the, the deals that've been done already, the money being spent is obscene for you know some players that you know that I don't think they really at least worth the fee that's being paid at the moment. Yeah. One um, that stood out for me was Jordan Ibe to Bournemouth for about fifteen million. Which is is a hell of a lot of money for someone who's not played a lot in the Premier League yet. They also spent ten million on Lewis Cook from Leeds who he's not been in the championship that many seasons, so you know, there is some crazy money getting thrown around. So on the one hand I you know I understand what Darsh is is doing in trying to, you know, not throw money away because uh, there's two sides to it, isn't it really you know we're at investment we won't stay up but as well investing for the sake of investing is not going to keep us up either so it's that's really one. true that birdie that is honestly there's no guarantee with all the money that Middlesbrough are spending on these players and again I'm only using them, them as an example because out of the three of us who were promoted they're the ones that spending they're the most active actually they're probably one of the most active in the Premier League full stop at the moment um, And the, but there's no guarantee that they're going to stay up and then they're back in the in the championship next season with those heavy wages and those players on their books the only thing that I would I'd say to that that, that is sort of crossed my mind from a basic economics point of view the new television deal is so lucrative in terms of staying in the premier league if we get relegated sure we get 60 million as our first parachute payment but if we stay in the premier league we get 100 million so we're effectively talking about um investing to to win another 40 million pounds which is money 10 years ago Burnley never ever thought would ever come into into focus at our club so we've got to be I completely agree we've got to be realistic in terms of what we spend but we can't lose sight of a massive financial incentive to make that investment in the first place this is it for me I mean we've been up and come down twice in what is it this is going to be three years in the Premier League in seven or eight years so I, th- I think we can be considered a yo-yo club now. We're getting towards that that sort of status where we are up and down. 
And at some point, we're going to have to have a real crack at staying up. And okay, signing players and spending money is no guarantee of success. But at the minute, our squad is weaker than it was at the end of last season. We've not just lost Barton, we've let players like Taylor and Diago, who did play a part last season, albeit from the bench mainly. And we've signed three kids who I certainly hadn't heard of them before the sign for us, and I'd be surprised if any of them get on the pitch next season. I don't think that was a particularly radical prediction to make. Um, One player we've been linked with, Jeff Hendrick from Derby. James, it seemed like he was valued around three, four million, and then had a couple of half decent games at the Euros, and suddenly the price went up to sort of six million, and that's that's a lot of money for someone who wasn't even an automatic starter for Derby last season. You can understand why we are bulking at these fees that we're being quoted. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how much money has been you know splashed around, and it seems you know a couple of good performances can can add millions to to people's money, which is. It's difficult because, you know, this kind of short-term fall isn't necessarily an indicator of how they're going to do in the Premier League. It's definitely not an indicator of how they're going to do when, you know, you're in a tough relegation battle and, uh, you know, times are tricky. And in some ways, you could see maybe that we just need to get a few bodies into the areas where we're short. So, you know, maybe a pair of centre midfielders to to start the season. Um, And you maybe want to keep a lot of it sort of untouched and maybe just get in the backup, which you could do a little bit cheaper and, and you know, and try and rely on um, the team spirit that's already been built up getting you through the season. I think that's that's might that might be what we end up doing. I think the concern for me is that the midfield is is where games are won and lost. I don't think that's controversial to say. And at the minute, our midfield is going to be Dean Marnie and Dave Jones, which is not only a worse midfield than we had last season, it's a midfield that's been proven to not quite be good enough for the Premier League when they were both a couple of years younger. So I think it's it's tough to say that we can compete with the the same squad that we've got. And I, I just worry if we're going to end up picking up cheapies and freebies and unwanted players, which is basically the business that we did two years ago. I wonder if Natalie might be right in that. We've either not learned our lessons or we're just refusing to engage with what is admittedly a very, very crazy market so far this summer. Um, one player who it does look like is going to come in this week, however, is Johan Gudmundsen, a winger, versatile forward from Charlton. Um, Natalie, I don't know how much of the Euros you saw, but this is the guy who played five games for Iceland on their run to the quarterfinals. And I think his raw statistics from last season, albeit in a very poor team, something like six goals, 11 assists in the Championship, more impressive than our current wingers. And although he's been relegated to League One this summer, Tom Heaton was relegated to League One when we picked him up. So certainly um, an exciting one, I think, Goodmanson. Yeah, I, I do think so as well. And I think... Um, I didn't see um, an awful lot of the the Euros just because I left for America quite early on in the tournament and because of the times difference on the um, west coast of, of the States, I, a lot of the games were in the very early morning and as you can appreciate, you don't tend to be up at about 9am in the morning when you're in Vegas, but that's another story in itself. But what I did see, I was certainly very impressed with the Iceland team as a whole. I don't remember his performances specifically standing out, but that's not necessarily a bad thing but 
it, it strikes me as being a very Dutch player just because the whole team spirit of the Iceland team, they work hard, they are grafters, they have a good team spirit and they, you know, they have a real pride in their performance. So it doesn't surprise me that a player of that calibre is on Dyche's radar because that is exactly the kind of player that we want. I would, I mean, this is something that I would, I'd put to you two to see what you think as a general question. We're signing that kind of player and even, you know, we're not signing the the stars and the the big names and the multi-million pound signings that, that some of our rivals are. Would you prefer in what's probably going to be another relegation dogfight, would you prefer a grafter who will roll his sleeves up and fight for every single ball with a team? Or would you prefer a team full of stars who are probably just there for a payday and might not necessarily get it? I know which one I would prefer and... I would use QPR from our last um, Premier League campaign as an example. So, on that sense, I think he's a perfect fit. Yeah, I think, um, as with most things, it's a balance, isn't it? You can't... I don't think you can really just stay up by having the grafters, but you'd probably go down if you only had uh, like show ponies who were there for the money, I think. I think Goodmanson will be a good fit. I think he's obviously got goal threat, but he will have the work rate as well. I think it's important as well that he looks like he can play on either wing. So the fact I was that, just about to say, is he a winger? Can he play in the middle? I think he can play as a as a forward, not really so much a striker, but maybe off the front. He certainly uh. played on either wing. He seems to play on the left a lot for Charlton last season, but a lot of the clips I've seen of him playing for for Iceland, he plays on the right. So uh, I'm not sure which is his stronger foot to be honest, but he can presumably cut inside and and shoot, and that's how he's going to get his goals. Um, James, what this does mean is that. Your favourite player, Michael Cartley, might see himself pushed a bit further down the pecking order. How do you, how do you see Goodmanson fitting in? Is he going to be competition for Boyd and Arfield, or he's mainly from the bench? Do you think? I think he's. You, you've got to assume he's coming in as competition. Um, you know, like, like you said, he has strong Euros, uh, which is a you know arguably a better indicator than than playing in a team like Charlton. Um, obviously, I didn't see a lot of him at Charlton because. I don't think anyone would choose to watch Charlton. Um but from what I did see, he's you know, he's really good. The reviews of him from people who watch Charlton a bit more are really good as well. Um so you know, you would like to think he's gonna challenge Boyd and Arfield, particularly when you look at some of the, the runs of poor form Arfield and Boyd had, you know, obviously Boyd in particular, when until the last sort of seven games of the season, I'm not sure he he really got up to speed. Um, then you need someone who's going to be able to challenge and, and give yourself a fresh option if you know those sort of spells are, are there for Boyd in the Premier League because we won't be able to get away with it in the Premier League. Yeah, I think what what um, slightly concerns me, and I don't know if I'm getting a bit too worried about this over nothing, but I don't think Arfield declaring for Canada is particularly good for us. Uh, I think if you're going to play international football, it's got to be at a reasonable level, otherwise you're not really going to learn anything. But for him to go and play for Canada, be one of their better players, I don't think he's going to learn much. And it means he's going to be heading halfway around the globe every six weeks. I think a lot of the travel might... When his game's so built on energy as well, I just think all that travelling and the extra games, it's not necessarily going to be good for, for Scott Arfield and as a result, not necessarily good for us. But I totally understand why he wants to play international football. It's not something I'd, I'd deny him. I completely agree that the biggest problem with that is is the travel. It's such a, you know, with all the games being in pretty much in North America, it's, it's going to be such a, 
you know, such a difficult uh, thing to deal with because, you know, anyone who's been to the States and come back this way can know if you're not careful, um, it can be quite unpleasant for a few days. And how does he settle back into training? How does it keep Dash fit when he's doing that as well? It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've also got used to, and I'm sure it'll be the same this season, we've, we've not had a lot of international players, so when the international breaks come round, it's an opportunity for the squad to work on, on tactical things that maybe they don't have time. Certainly in the Championship, where you're playing twice a week a lot of the time. But if, if someone like Arfield, who's been a key player pretty much since he signed, if he's not going to be there, that maybe has an impact as well. But like I said, I don't want to be negative about this because it's obviously fantastic for Arfield as an individual. I just wonder what sort of impact it's going to have on, on his play with Burnley. Um, the other player who it looks like will sign this week, this one seems even closer because Goodmanson's been on holiday apparently after the Euros, which is fair enough. Uh, is Nick Pope, a young goalkeeper, a friend of mine sports York City. Pope was on loan there a few seasons ago and he insisted that he was certainly championship class at that time, let alone how good he could be in future. And this is when he was a teenager playing in League Two. So I don't know how good a judge of player my friend is, but he reckons Pope is a good one. Um, again, I, I don't know how much he stood out for Charlton last season, but it's difficult to judge players, Natalie, when they're in a team and a situation, remember, with all the off-the-field stuff at, at Charlton last season. Um, but presumably he's going to come in as, as number three anyway since Paul Robinson signed a contract extension. Um, yeah, you would have thought so, although I'm a little a little confused with the, with the keeper um, hierarchy at Burnley just because I, it never... St- Robinson never struck me as coming in as, as a direct number two. I thought he was there just for cover when um, there was literally only Heaton who was free. And it, it always, well, I always thought that when we had three keepers in there that Robinson would drop to number three just because of his age and his lack of games. And he will have not a lot of sharpness to his game. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me either way if Pope came in as number two or number three. Um, I agree with you. It, it doesn't surprise me that that we're managing to to get players from, from Charlton, given obviously the the, the shape that they're in. Um, but you know we, we've done really well with keepers, and and Heaton was um, obviously had just been relegated when we brought him in, and he's turned out to be one of the best signings we've had in a very long time. So. I, I know there's been some criticism of the standard of of championship or League One players that we're going after, but I certainly don't think that that's a, a negative thing. Every now and again, you can um, unearth an absolute gem who will play really well, and let's hope that uh, young Nick Pope is one of those. Yeah, the, the fees uh, they're talking about, it seems like it's going to be around a million pounds, which is obviously not much for us uh, now, but if he was to be a third-choice goalkeeper, then it starts to be quite a lot of money. Remember two years ago, didn't we sign three goalkeepers before we signed an outfielder? <laughs> Dash has obviously got a thing about having a lot of good goalkeepers. But Robinson's getting on, he's probably not going to be around longer than this this season. So maybe it's a bit of succession planning as well. And You'd also expect um, that Tom Heaton might move on at some point. He's not necessarily going to be at Burnley for the rest of his career. Um, as, as positive as the, the signing of Nick Pope walks to be though, James, it's not Hugely exciting at this point to have two players coming from Charlton and, and that's it so far. It's it's these things take time, but I'm sure Burnley fans would have hoped for more new faces by this stage of preseason. Yeah, I'm and I'm not expecting, you know, a business so far to really, you know, stoke anyone's fire, but um I think you do have to remember as well, we've been a, a Euros year that 
that I think that does affect the the business you're doing, particularly uh, when you're in the Premier League. And I think particularly some of the teams that made the Euros this year that probably do have, you know, lower half Premier League standard players involved. And uh, I think that has obviously had a knock-on effect. And you know, the market taking off the way it has. It's. I mean, I think people knew that we'd be playing in a different, you know, uh, ballpark to to what we were doing last season, but. I think everyone's been caught by surprise at how much the price have gone up this year. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one. Like you said, it was obvious it was going to move, but I think it's not until you see the fees and the deals start being announced that you're like, oh, blimey, hang on. But I, I just, I still keep thinking we've, we've just got to like, we've got to suck it up and get on with it, basically. I mean, at some point, you, Natalie, if you go into a shop and things cost more than you expect to pay, you go into the next one and there's still more than you expect to pay. And you go into the next one and there's still more than you expect to pay. At some point, do you just accept that that's what things cost now and then pay it? Or do you do without? Well, in this scenario, I think in, in other walks of life, there is an argument for doing without. But I think in this scenario, I just don't see how you can. Um, I just go back to the point that I made earlier about, you know, we are we don't seem to be realize you know we don't seem to be in the reality of, of the situation that we're in we seem to be in denial in somehow that and there's a there is a danger that Burnley and Dyche particularly are playing the martyr in this role they're feeling very sorry for themselves and you know when they come out in the media repeatedly and say oh you know the market's inflated and you know we can't have you know who can compete with these players and it's ridiculous and all of that well, every other club has got that problem. Everybody else is in the same position. So, you know, we're no different to any other club who's trying to compete in the Premier League. And this is the point that I was trying to get to earlier on when I have some reservations about Dyche's refusal to accept that that is the market he's dealing with. And I do worry a little bit that he is holding us back this is going to sound incredibly controversial when this goes out on air so let me i just think that everybody at burnley just needs to get out of that woe is me we're being unfairly disadvantaged because we aren't got multi-billionaire backers behind us and you know players aren't worth what we think we're worth and i think that the the, the board and Deitch and everybody associated with Berlin needs to just realise that A, this is the market that we are operating in and B, everybody else is in the same position. And just if you want to, if you genuinely want to stay in the Premier League and you want to compete with these other sides, you're going to have to spend that money. And what you're going to get from that, you're going to get another £40 million at the end of the season. I think I agree. I mean, to take Henrik as an example, because he seems to be the one that... Um... According to reports, we never know exactly what's going on, but he seems to be the one primary midfield ta- target, if you like. If if we decided Hendrik was worth about five million, but Derby wants six million, is is that enough of a gap to then turn around and say, no, you know what, we're going to go elsewhere? There's a there's a finite number of players good enough, and if you're then saying, nah, for the sake of a million quid, we're going to go somewhere else, you're going to run out of of places to shop at some point. I've seen some people suggest that um, Dale Stevens is a name that's been linked, and some people have suggested we could go to Brighton and just lift their midfield of Stevens and Kyle, which is fine, but why would Brighton sell not just one of their best midfielders, but both of them? Like, what chance are they going to have next season if they sell both of those players? So, to get these players is tricky anyway, 
even if you've got the, the lure of, of Premier League football. But the players at the the bigger city clubs, in particular in the Championship, they're already going to be on wages that we struggle to compete with. So if we're offering, what was it you said, Natalie, top whack about 30k, they'll be playing in the I've Championship. Heard, yeah, I've heard it's 20 to 30. I think, I think at the moment it's about 20, but I've heard that Keane turned down 30,000 a week, which was a revised offer, so I'm assuming it's gone up this year. We'll come on to Keane next. It wouldn't surprise me at all if if players like Hendrick, sorry, were already on that sort of money. So it's not like we can even say, come to a Premier League club, you're going to get 50% more money. Because we're already in that sort of wage budget, and we've got to get used to it. I think you're absolutely right. And there's got to be money to spend. Like, we've just got promoted. Boston was one of the top earners, so he's gone as well. Taylor had been on decent money. There's got to be money there, and at some point, we've just got to start spending it. We can't possibly go into the season with the squad in the shape that it's in now, even counting the arrivals of, of Goodmanson and Pope. Um, moving on then, it's, it's quite a bleak podcast for a team that won the championship only a few weeks ago. Um, but the main transfer saga at Turf Moor has been surrounding Michael Keane, as Natalie just mentioned, reportedly turned down a big new contract, whereas the likes of Ben Mee and Ashley Barnes have committed their futures to the club uh, this season. James, talking about a potential move to Leicester City, reportedly in the region of £15 million turned down. First of all, it's again, it's the sort of thing that really brings it into sharp focus that we've got a player that the champions of England want to buy and we're turning down double our existing transfer record. It's another sign of where the market's moved to. Yeah, I mean, Michael Keane is a really, really good young centre-back. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that that's the case. Um, is he worth £15 million right now? That's a, that, that's a lot of money. That is a, How do you decide it, though? I mean, what one... English defender who's moved this summer already is James Tompkins, who Palace paid ten million for. Now he's got the Premier League experience, but he's a few years older than Keane. And I think the only other comparison, and I always feel a bit silly saying this because it's a guy that's talked about in terms of fifty million pounds, but he's comparable to John Stones, I think, at this stage of his career. Yes, he spent time in the Championship, but Stones had a terrible season last year. They're talking about fifty million for him, so. Totally understand why we hold it out for twenty million for Kane. To, to be fair, John Stones can't defend, so I mean, you know, he's got a big one up on him there since that is his main strong point. Um, it, it's just crazy to see because obviously we have seen him in the Premier League, and and while I wouldn't say he was bad, you know, he, he ultimately lost his place to to Michael Duff first time around in the Premier League, which, you know, no disrespect to, to Michael Duff, obviously he's been a great player for Burnley, but. You are talking about someone who's in the tail end of his career and, you know, signed for less than 100,000 originally when he went to Burnley. You're not talking about losing your place to a, a star centre-back. Um, so I, it does feel maybe like, you know, valuations of 15 million are a little bit premature, but... I think that's a bit. I think that's a little harsh on on Keane, though. I think when he first came to Burnley and he did lose his place, ultimately he wasn't anywhere near the player he is now. He has had, you know, a, a good full season um, under his belt since then. So I think I don't think it's completely out of the blue. But I think I think a lot of of the valuation of players, Jamie, just to answer the question that you posed um, a couple of minutes ago, it's not necessarily about true value of a player. It's down to how much a team wants them, I and it's it's a, it's almost. Um, an ego competition it's like well 
and if you think about it, Leicester, as an example, they aren't going to be going for the championship again next season, for the title, sorry, next season. They're probably going to be in a midfield to bottom of the table scrap again. And it's not just necessarily the kind of players that you want and the value you put on them, but there's also a financial race to take away the best players from your rivals and all part of the game of trying to stay in the Premier League. So if players can entice a player like Michael Keane away from us, that makes us such a weaker side, especially knowing the side like Burnley haven't necessarily got the buying power to buy somebody to replace them. It almost guarantees that it's going to, that they are going to um, that we're going to take up one of the automatic relegation spots. Well, firstly, I'd say that, you know, yes, he has had a great season, but it is one season. And how many full seasons has Michael Keane played? The answer, obviously, is one, which means you're not really talking a huge sample size. And you have seen players in the past, you know, have great seasons and then not be very good. Obviously, John Stones, for example, Smith just gave there that he wasn't really up to, you know, up to the standard expected of him last season. Um, and I think it's a a bit obscene to suggest that Leicester are going to be in a relegation battle. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win the title again, but I'd expect them to be top half of the table since, you know, they've not lost too many players and, you know, they're still bringing people in. So, but I'd say, I'd say on the valuation thing, it's probably actually now most comparable to sort of art dealing because it's more about how much you want a certain player and, you know, you want to have Michael Keane in your gallery sort of thing. And I think that's ultimately how the, the money goes. How much do you want him? And teams can keep saying numbers back to you and you'll keep going as long as you, you still desire them for that, for that price. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what, Na- what Natalie said about value, I suppose the other argument is that someone or something is worth as much as anyone's willing to pay, really. And if Leicester think that Keane's worth £20 million, then he's worth £20 million and he's certainly worth that to us at this stage um, if if as is reported to be true he's turned down our best offer already he's only got two years left on his contract that takes him beyond 24 so we wouldn't get a tribunal fee for him two years is typically seen as around the tipping point when players start to to lose value um, but is, is he worth more to us to keep and try and get that 40 million that you were talking about Natalie or is there a risk that he'll maybe become dissatisfied? He doesn't seem that sort of player he's going to throw his toys out of the pram. If we said to him, stay for a year and then we'll let you go next summer if you still want to go. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. And if you remember, we had, was it last January, we had um, the whole Keane unsettling. I think it was it Everton, did they come in for him? or show some interest in Yeah, the rumours. And he came out straight away in the first day, I think, of the January transfer window and just said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying where I am. I'm finishing this season and I'm done. So from a character point of view, he's certainly shown that he is prepared to stay somewhere. And he's kept a very dignified silence so far. And he looks like he's putting a real shift in pre-season. So I'm not concerned there. And ultimately, if he wants to go, he's going to go. For me, I think he is a big loss. But I think he's a big loss because of the dealings that we're doing. You know, I'll, I'll round this quite nicely back to, to some of the comments you made at the early early part of this podcast, Jamie. We are a worse side no, let's not say worse, that's unduly negative. We are a weaker side than we were last season. We are a weaker side, I think, than we were when we went up a couple of years ago. 
if we then further weaken that side by losing a, a player like Keane, who is in a back four that's really settled and playing very well together and, you know, didn't concede hardly any goals last season, then it puts us in a more vulnerable position and we are not or we're not displaying the ability to replace those players. So it, it, I think in that sense, he is more valuable to us. And I think, um, actually, to answer, actually, I'm going to flip back on that, actually. In, in one sense, yes, he is more important to us from a player point of view. But I've just realised what you've said about should we wait for the 40 million? Well, actually, does it make any difference because we're not spending the money? We've got a hundred million for going up. So if we hold out for the hundred next forty million, what are we going to do with it? We're not we're not spending it. So I don't <laughs> think it matters. I suppose. I think you can also argue as well, if if we were to sell Keane, we've then probably got to replace him even though we've got Tarkovsky. Um because we've got to think about Duff moving into a coaching role. So we will need at least one more defender. Everyone's gonna know that we've got loads of money. Firstly because we've just been promoted and secondly because we've just sold one of our best players for 15 million or whatever much it is. So if we wanted to go out and buy, say, Lewis Dunk at Bratton, who is the name I've seen mentioned, if he's valued at 6 million, we sell Michael Keane for 15 million, suddenly his price tag is probably 10 million, 12 million. So, and there's probably a sell on. There's probably a sell on to United as well. So it, it becomes, the mass suddenly becomes much more difficult. I think Bromers is getting dangerously close there to spending money for the sake of spending money again. Um, oh God, forgot. no, I'm not. Uh, you know, you you threw that you threw that mud at me so many podcasts last season, Jamie, and you're what? not starting it. Yeah, sorry, James, and you're not starting it in preseason. Like, honestly, I'm oh, not. I don't want us to bring in players, it. James. James, I don't want us to bring in players just for the sake of it. I really don't. But we have got a real hole in our squad in terms of quality. We've talked about that on the, in this bench, and it's. It's not just a case that we're not signing the quality players. We, we, we're not, not signing, signing anyone. Yeah, and we're, we're, not going, signing anyone. we're doing what we did a couple of seasons ago and we're going to, to relegated clubs. We're going to, to clubs like Charlton. And, and, you know, there's no there's no danger in that. We've already said that. But we're going to clubs that are laughing at our offers. We're going to the likes of Derby and offering three and four million again and Brighton for players that they value at eight or nine million. And with our winnings, they aren't that very much money. So whilst I'm not saying spend money for the sake of it, if they've identified those targets, just pay what the, the market values for. Let's get them a pre Season preseason is about how, how, how did you find the market value? It's, it's like Jamie said, someone's worth as as much as someone's willing to pay. I'd rather we went and did the you know low ball them faff around a bit and then pay X amount rather than when oh here's ten million just take it please. Yeah, um, that's that's yeah. I agree with that point that's when teams will really start laughing at you is when you come to them with these offers that they're thinking to themselves, well, we would have been happy with, you know, four million for him. It's so great they've come and given us nine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, mm. I think as ever, the true reflection will lie somewhere in the middle, doesn't it? I mean, we were never going to get someone like Jeff Henry for two and a half, three million or whatever our opening offer was. And yes, you have to negotiate, but I think... Um, a lot of people say like we don't have to panic. The season's still weeks away. Last year, two of our best players we signed well into the season, um, but we can't do that again. Last year we could afford to give up however many points we gave up before Gray signed, however many points we gave up before Barton got in the team. We can't do that again because we'll be relegated. <laughs> you can't look at the season that way. We start in the season with a run of home games because we switched the Liverpool fixture. We have to be ready to start running full speed. 
we can't have the starts of the season we had last year and get away with it. It's just not going to happen. Oh, so Burnley fans love a runner, don't they? They do love a runner. I think, people, people, <laughs> I think the people who are saying that we can sign players up until the window course, I think they're deluding themselves, to be honest. We can't. If you want to go out and sign someone for the centre of midfield, and we need at least one new central midfielder, they have to be ready and fully yeah. fit and dash yeah. fit for the first day of the season. Otherwise, we're potentially losing points for scrabbling around over a few quid. Yeah. And look at how long it took before. We all knew that we needed Joey Barton last season, and even after we signed him, which was so so positive, it then took him, what, about another three weeks to come on because he had to get Deitch fit. If he's not ready as a pre-season, like you say, we could be a month in and be already seven or eight points behind where we need to be. I completely agree, Jamie. We all, we all knew we needed him, apart from the few who said they'd never come to the turf ever again after he signed. <laughs> oh, I did, I did enjoy again. those tweets. I, I loved. I did enjoy seeing those same people just so, like, saying, Sending him like thank you for everything, Joey. I can't, you know, I'm so sad to see you go. I was like, oh, okay, how yeah. times change. There were a couple. There were a couple to be fair. who were like resolute all season. I was like, every time he does something good, I refuse to clap because he's a criminal. It's like the really podcast from from the glory of the end of the season to the preseason yeah. desperation. It must be so fun to sit next to people like that on the turf. Um, talking of Twitter and negativity, then we'll move on to. Tweet of the week slash month slash summer slash the last time we did a podcast. Natalie, the highlights of, of Twitter that you picked out in five minutes before we start recording. <laughs> tweet of the week, 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 tweet of the week. Indeed. Now, we haven't, yeah, it's not really a, um, an official tweet of the week at the moment. We're just going to highlight a couple of things for, from social media this week, just because it's not really on people's focus at the moment. And uh, we're a little bit in danger at the moment of the whole Twitter clarets hashtag um, just being, oh, we're never going to sign anybody. <laughs> hashtag Twitter clarets is mainly Borough fans gloating. Yeah, actually it is. Like, Borough fans gloating, look, we've signed everybody. Yeah, we've signed someone who's sat on Man bench for the last two years. Yeah. I know. It's like, they're yeah. all, they're um, all awful for the economy. They're all going to have to go back when we leave the uh, European <laughs> Union, anyway. So <laughs> That's true. getting excited this money away when the work permits don't get uh, approved. So. Brexit, Brexit bounce on the non I know, the non-never podcast goes political. Who'd have thought it? Um, so, That's even low-key an advantage to our squad. When we kick them all out, <laughs> certainly the only team is still with all the players left. Oh, God. Mm. Anyway, bringing this back into the realm of Tweet of the Week, <laughs> let's step away from politics. Um, I'm just going to highlight a couple of tweets just to give you um, a bit of a of the polar opposites of the feeling among our uh, fan base and especially our listeners over the, the summer months. Um, the first one, and I'm not going to... Um, reveal the poster's username just because I'm not going to call him out on this one. So it's just a a general... The tweet is also censored slightly for a family-friendly show. And our friend here says, um, hashtag Deitch out, hashtag sack the board. Expletive, expletive, expletive. Sick of this, another expletive. (laughs) No ambition. Spend, let's say nothing, and buy insert not very good players get out of my club you let's leave it at that so i think that's that's quite a 
one extreme of fans who appear to be slightly frustrated fairly with extreme. Our, I think I think you did read more of that tweet than you actually read, which is a sign of what sort of tweet it was. Uh, yeah, carry on. Well, I, I don't think I don't think we we certainly don't endorse that on the No Never podcast. But it's just it's just showing you the the very short fuses that we appear to be having among some of our fan base. The message there being just relax, it will be fine. Um, but then on the opposite end of the scale, we've got um, Zara Town, who I know is uh, is a listener of the show, and she does um, she's quite an active tweeter during games she says laughing because we're signing lower league players question mark sure because heaton ings austin gray they all turned out to be awful so it's just a nice little reminder there that it's not always the name that you're signing sometimes you can unearth a real gem who will prove to be really good for you so there you go that that's the kind of things that we're dealing with on social media at the moment so do keep your tweets coming in send tweets into our um our twitter page as well and we'll we'll keep an eye out for those as the summer goes on yeah, please do. I think um, it's it's important to point out at this stage of the podcast because we have been quite negative. Justified, I think, given the lack of activity. That we did win the league a couple of months ago and we are going to be in the Premier League again. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll have some more positivity on the podcast um, soon. A couple of other things to go over. We are looking for a sponsor for the podcast at the moment. If you are interesting finding out more if you think your business would be interested in sponsoring the podcast please do drop us an email email address is as ever podcast at net. you can also get in touch through twitter if you wish to do so that's at net. but that's about it for for this week's podcast if enough happens in the next week we might do one next week otherwise it'll be a couple of weeks time uh, a bit further into pre-season but hopefully um You've all stuck with us over the summer break. Please do get in touch with any comments or feedback as ever. It's always good to know that there are people out there listening and that we're not just broadcasting into the ether. So thanks for, for joining us again on the podcast. Thanks to James and Natalie for joining us. And we'll be back with more known and ever podcasts a bit later on in the summer. Bye. One day I'll learn how to make the right amount of pasta. Currently I'm looking no, at a mountain of Not possible. No one has ever made the right amount of pasta. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.